live, online and on your mobile. This, this is DCUFM News. Hi everyone and welcome back to Newswire. I'm Kira Lockton and I'm joined today by Anya Boyle and Dara Brown. On today's show, Mary Ryan talks to striking nurses from St. James's Hospital. Clodagh Ryan from Friends of the Irish Environment talks to us about the High Court case that they've taken against the state. How do DCU students feel about entering semester two not knowing if they have passed semester one or not? And finally, what happened with our timetables the night before semester two started? But first, we have our hourly news bulletin. The Helix has announced that boxer Tyson Fury's visit will not go ahead. They've blamed unforeseen circumstances after reports of criminal damage to the theatre. The Fury event was due to happen in eight days' time. Those with tickets will be refunded. The matter has been referred to the Gardaí. Sky-high parking charges have caused concern among business owners in the city centre. Last night's city council meeting saw a motion pass, which would increase yellow zone fees to €3.20 an hour, while red zones will charge €2.70 an hour. Other areas will also see their per hour rates rise as part of the plan. Business owners have expressed worries that public transport alternatives aren't developed enough yet. INMO members are holding their second 24-hour strike today. The union has said there could be a huge issue if the government continues to refuse to pay talks. A reported 50,000 patients have been disrupted, while the nurses will strike again on Thursday. The Department of Public Expenditure and Reform says the 12% pay claim added to what's in the public sector agreement could see newly hired nurses earn 40 grand, as opposed to the current 29 grand. Four children have been killed in a house fire in the UK. They were aged between three and eight. It's not yet known how the home in Stafford went to blaze. A spokesperson for Staffordshire Police said, It is with great sadness we can confirm the deaths of four children at the property. Two adults and another child are being treated in hospital. Their injuries are are not believed to be life-threatening. And finally, a seven-year-old boy has been hailed as a hero after calling 999 when his mother collapsed. The London boy Noah was called into action after his mother Marjana was unresponsive just after the pair arrived home from school. He also took care of his one-year-old sister while paramedics rushed to the scene. It is believed that Marjana suffered complications with an ear infection. Noah received a surprise visit from members of the Metropolitan Police, who he is a big fan of, soon after event. That's all the news for now. Remember, you can keep up to date with us on Twitter and Instagram at DCUMPS News. On January 22nd, an Irish environmental NGO, Friends of the Irish Environment, made history by taking high court action against the state for their National Mitigation Plan 2017 in Dublin's four courts. The court heard that Ireland is completely off course regarding EU-mandated emission reduction targets, which means we will be hit with substantial fines in 2020. Senior counsel for the FIE, Owen McCullough, explained that Ireland has the third highest emissions rate per capita in the EU, saying that we are, as a country, directly and disproportionately contributing to a two-degree change in global temperature, which has been warned against by the most recent IPCC report. 
The National Mitigation Plan outlines Ireland's commitment to reduce CO2 emissions by 80% by the year 5050. However, FIE argue that the NMP is not calculated to achieve the short-term change needed to reduce climate change. Newswire reporter Mary Foodie spoke to Clodagh Daly of Climate Case Ireland and Friends of the Environment Ireland about the case. Today I'm talking with Clodagh Daly uh, from Friends of the Irish Environment. So Clodagh... Hi. Thank you. Thank you so much for talking today. Um, Thanks for having me on. So, Friends of the Irish Environment are, uh, are an NGO that have taken a high court case against the state over the National Mitigation Plan 2017. Friends of the Irish Environment has argued that the approval of the National Mitigation Plan in 2017 was actually in violation of Ireland's Climate Action and Low Carbon Development Act 2015, the Constitution and other human rights obligations. Friends of the Irish Environment also claim that the plan falls short of the steps required by the Paris Agreement 2015 on climate change and is not calculated to achieve the short-term change that's needed to avoid contributing to a two-degree global temperature rise, which we are headed. So, Clodagh, can you talk us through the Climate Case Ireland case, uh, where did it all start and when did it start to receive public support and attention? Yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, so we received leave from the High Court to judicially review the government's decision to approve its national mitigation plan in October 2017. So it's quite a slow process in terms of we received leave from the High Court in October 2017, but we only actually had our hearing in January 2019. The campaign really took off in earnest in October 2018. At that point, we had a hearing date. We knew we were going to be in court in January, and um, so at that point, we really kind of ramped up our mobilization. We were doing talks all around the country. Um, We were kind of linking up with other events going on so we got involved in some rallies calling for climate action mm-hmm. um and you do actually have a petition as well am i right exactly yeah that was our call to action was to mm-hmm. ask people to sign our online petition saying that this case is being taken in my name and mm-hmm. so we have seventeen thousand signatures of support which is really huge given that we were really operating from a shoestring budget and that you know friends of the irish environment is a tiny entity mm-hmm. um so it was i suppose really exciting that there was um so much enthusiasm from the public in relation to the case and i maybe that was because um it's empowering to a degree i think um we're not really you know um, telling people what they should be doing um, as individuals but kind of saying you know this is something that um, you know is kind of a structural problem in our whole society and this is something where we actually believe we can invoke the law mm-hmm. and then I think people start to you know it sounds really crazy but then when you see that the state is responding and that it is something that is being taken to the high court it gives people hope I think mm-hmm. um just on the um, being inspired, um, Climate Case Ireland has kind of mentioned uh, the Urgenda case. Um, so there was a Dutch NGO and 900 people, I believe, who took on their state. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So can you talk us a little bit through that and how it um, might mirror the Irish case in some respects? Yeah, that case has really changed everything um, in terms of how people think about how the law can be used creatively. 
to um, address issues like climate change. So Urgenda is a Dutch organization, and they were the first in the world to take the state to court, saying that you have a duty of care to protect your citizens from the disastrous consequences of climate change. Mm -hmm. And um, I suppose what's interesting to note is that the Dutch state had already made considerable emission reductions. I think that when they took the case, their emissions had been reduced 13%. And um, Urgenda and 900 Dutch citizens said, well, that isn't enough. You know you need to reduce emissions by at least 25% if we're to have a 66% chance of staying well below 2 degrees Celsius. Mm -hmm. um, which was the previous safe limit. And as we know now from the latest intergovernmental panel for climate change report, we know we need to stay below 1.5. So mm -hmm. um, we need really ambitious emission reductions. But um, basically this was the premise of their argument and they said that you know, the state has a duty of care. So um, they actually sued the state for inaction on climate change. And they won. Mm -hmm. So that ruling first came through in 2015, and the state appealed. So uh, they then had to re, you know, they had to get another a second court date, which didn't come through until last year. So again, it's a slow process. But I think the good thing um, about that was that in the interim, so between um, the first ruling and the second hearing, mm -hmm. the Dutch government still had to obey the court ruling. They still had to start making an effort to really dramatically reduce their emissions. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that Urgenda have said um, is that the case actually radically transformed the way that people talk about climate change in the Netherlands. That mm -hmm. actually having had climate science brought into a courtroom really changed the way politicians were talking about climate change. They weren't really trying to say things like, you know, the Netherlands is too small mm -hmm. or, you know, other countries should be doing more than we are. Um, they were kind of talking more practically, kind of saying, actually, okay, we are going to be held to account. So what is it that we can do? How can we do it in a way that is um, practical and I suppose that is... Uh, politically, you know, favorable to, um, so, you know, that's something that would maybe give us a lot of hope here as well. Mm -hmm. One um, thing that um, Climate Case Ireland kind of focused quite a bit on um, was uh, events that included children, so kind of the, mm -hmm. the message being, you know, it's future generations that are going to be most affected and what are we doing um, now to help them? Um, so the likes of Greta Thunberg, do you think we're going to see um, more people like that and more younger people becoming frustrated and angry? Definitely. Um, and it really, it's a huge weight for young shoulders to bear. So I think, you know, we have to um, elevate these young voices and at the same time, um, you know, it's, it's important to not expect too much, I think, from our youth, but it's so powerful to hear young people coming forward and, you know, mm -hmm. saying, I may not have a vote, but I do have a voice. Um, and, you know, it's there are phenomenal young people in Ireland that are doing such courageous work. Um, and, you know, we're seeing that there are these school strikes taking off. There were over 30,000 mm -hmm. 
that took to the streets in Belgium last week, and a couple of weeks ago that was 12,000. Mm-hmm. It's just growing and growing. And uh, I know that here there's going to be one on March 15th. So, um, you know, and I do think it's, you know, it's important to know that this is something that is just about future generations. It's present generations as well. It's mm-hmm. us, it's you and me, it's our grandparents. It's everyone that we know. Um, but I think it's particularly unfair that for younger generations, it'll be the best part of their lifetime, and they don't get to say. And when you're making decisions in the name of all your citizens, um, I think you know it's really important that they have their voices heard. And then, just are you happy um, personally with the case so far, and how it progressed for those uh, four days in the um, in the four courts? And when can we expect um, a verdict from the case? We'll be notified, I think we're relatively sure notice, but we are going to um, let, all our, uh, let all of our supporters know once we have word ourselves. And um, then we hope to rally the troops again and get a big crowd down mm-hmm. um, to the courtroom on the day as well. So the hearing itself was really, really special. Um, we were really hoping to get a turnout in the courts, and I just, we had no... We had no idea that so many people were going to show up, um, especially on the last day. It was absolutely packed. The judge actually had to stop proceedings at one point to allow people to scooch up the aisles. Um, there were kids there with their coloring books. There were delivery drivers. Um, there were grandparents with their grandkids. There was a whole classroom of students that came in in uniform at one point. Um, I, I was sitting on the floor. You know, we were just bowled over. Um, we had absolutely no idea that it was going to get quite as much momentum as it did. It felt really special. And I think um, regardless of the outcome, you know, I do feel that we've built something really powerful here. Um, so... I guess, you know, it's certainly not the last that you'll hear from Climate Cave Ireland. This is Marianne Foody for DCU FM News. I technically are left Trinity College Dublin students without access to their exam results for several hours last Tuesday. The disruption left many wondering whether they should be repeating their exams later in the year. This is the second disruption Trinity students have faced this exam season after an administrative error left more than 1,000 students delayed for over an hour in the RDS. In light of this, I asked DCU students how they felt about receiving their exam results after starting semester two. It's very off-putting. Like it's, it's hard to imagine that you, you need a point to keep you grounded in where you are in college, so it's hard to have that point of grounding if you don't even know what your results are. So I think that's very difficult to, co- to overcome. Uh, yeah, it's a bit nerve-wracking, you know. Um, we're coming back. We're not, we don't know exactly where we stand now in the second semester. Lectures have started again, so kind of being able to base yourselves off where you need to improve on coming up on the next semester is kind of a bit more difficult. It's a bit annoying getting them during the second semester because you're already focusing on other studies. I mean, it would be better if we could do the exams before Christmas and then like we'd be able to get our results a lot earlier. And uh, going into second semester, it would be easier to focus on uh, the other subjects without having to think about your results during that time. It's a little bit unnerving because I'd like to know where, where I was like b- beforehand. Um, because I did, str- I struggled with some things and did well in others, and I'd like to see did the improvement, like, did the improvement come with my studying and everything? Because I kind of like to use my exam results as like um, as a way to assess how well I've been doing, and as a way to kind of structure my future studies from then on. And then kind of moving forward, so like without my results, is a little bit worrying in the sense that that sense of progression that I'd like to have isn't really there, and it's just I don't, 
just like waiting for that long like um just be kind of being out, um, out of the loop shall we say for my, my own kind of learning and progress like that not too bad and well used to it now um personally i find it really really annoying um especially when you don't get feedback so the likes of having 100 percent exam and never getting feedback up until that point taking that exam and not actually knowing did i do okay did i not do okay because you haven't got any feedback from your lecture and there's been no communication there I find that really annoying. Um, I'd rather know where I stood going into my uh, second semester, especially in final year, because you want your grades to be as high as possible and rectified in time, uh, like in case there's any problems. So I would prefer if there was more feedback uh, from lectures in general and to know your exam results earlier. Uh, I actually study journalism, so um, I have a lot less hours and less exams than, say, someone studying a science degree. Um, they have a lot of exams, and I feel like that would be a lot of pressure to try and get done all in one go but yeah that's my take it actually doesn't bother me that much i suppose i only had two exams from my course so it's not really the be all and end all of of my success in my degree uh my exam performance it's more the results of my set of individual assignments that, that was keeping me awake at night i suppose the last few months i only had one exam myself and it actually does annoy me a bit because i'm going away for the summer and I want to know if I have to come back and repeat the exam uh, sooner rather than later. So it's actually a bit annoying, to be honest. Mike Walsh, DCUFM News. Over 37,000 nurses across the country are on their third day of strike action. Newswire reporter Mary Ryan talks to nurses striking outside St. James's Hospital. I'm here today outside the main entrance of James's Street Hospital, where nurses, midwives and their supporters have gathered to protest poor working conditions and unfair pay for staff and student nurses. There was plenty of support from Patrick by, as I stopped to ask those striking what exactly had made them come out today. Um, for our patient safety and for fair pay and a pay restoration. And what are the sort of conditions that you're kind of protesting against here today? Um, understaffing. And the understaffing leads to danger for patients because they don't get the care they deserve and the care we want to give to them. I'm out here in St. James Hospital today making for pay parity to my fellow nurses and also for extra nurses in the departments. I am, I will, I'm 45 years nursing. I'm retiring on Friday and I'm still here to support my junior nurses and the students of today going forward. I have over 30 years of nursing and I've seen lots of changes, uh, some good and some stagnant. And sadly we've lost so much of a generation of our own trained nurses as well. So we're embracing multiculturalism which is brilliant, but we've lost so many of our own people who've gone away and sadly won't come back because of uh, migration. So we're trying to, for my protest, it's for the next generation of nurses and for the people of Ireland because we have to stand up for the huge changes that are ahead, that are coming our way. And we need to protect people, the Irish people need to be protected in our hospitals. At the moment, a patient ratio should be one to four, which means one nurse to four. Uh, patients, but at the moment it's what one to ten, and um, it's very hard as a student, I think, to to learn in this environment when you can see the under pressure that all the nurses are under and stuff like that. And yeah, so we're just here to give a hand, and I suppose try to change it. 
we're, we're out here because it's got to the point of no crisis. Going, yeah, yeah. There's no going back really. And, and the conditions that we work under are the same conditions that our patients are cared for under and it's just not it's not equal to the task anymore. It, it just isn't all our young nurses have gone, you know, they're gone. It's absolutely embarrassing. Leo should be absolutely embarrassed. So basically we're striking, we're still supernumerary at the moment. So we came out on our day off to help all the nurses across Ireland today. Just for patient safety, the hospital's a bit of a joke at the moment. They're understaffed, underpaid for the amount of work they do, hours they put in. Nursing's not like like a, nor a normal job. Um, like you are supposed to leave the ward at half eight at night. You're in there at half seven. You can't just walk away from your patient at half eight at night. Um, I just think it's ridiculous how we're being treated at the moment. And we're just underappreciated. Basically, I am a nurse who's been qualified for um, just over a year now, and I'm speaking from my own experience, but uh, one night I was working for two nights, actually, two night shifts, two 12-hour night shifts, and one of my colleagues had um, rang in sick, so it was only just two of us taking care of 34 patients that night for 12 hours and the nurse who was with me that night was also just a newly qualified nurse and she was only qualified for one month. We've been looked down upon for like so long and I just think that like they don't really, they don't know what goes on in the wards and um, they think that we're, we're okay and they think that you know the staffing levels are okay when it's not. And I feel like, you know, like there's so much assumption because like they, they're, done, they're not on the wards. The people who are making these, these decisions aren't on the wards. So it's so easy for them to say. So th there is a real problem. There's a big, big problem. And that's why we're out here today to show them that, you know, we're nurses and we should be respected. And we need more of us out there um, in the wards, in the hospitals. We should not be out here today, but we have no choice anymore because they don't, they just don't listen to us. So this is our last stand, basically. That's why we're out here. At about 20 to 3, the protest is interrupted by Dundalk brothers Charles and Andrew Henley, who performed their viral song in solidarity of the nurses. Well, that was a great report there from Mary Ryan. Um, she was uh, at the strike there on Tuesday. So that was the first day of the strike and they're currently actually on um, their third day of 24-hour striking. So, I mean, it, it really is... It is continuing. And, I mean, that, that report there, like, I can't help but laugh in the background. Obviously, it's an incredibly serious subject. But, I mean, they really are... See they really do seem to be making the most of it. Oh, absolutely. I don't think that the, the strike has lost any momentum yet. Even on the bus today, I was driving by the Rotunda Hospital and the nurses are still very much out in force and they're definitely not going to be silenced for, for any time soon. Yeah, the support hasn't lacked either, you know, like people are still talking about it and it hasn't, you know. Well, I mean, this must be the biggest kind of, you know, strike from like public sector jobs in years. I mean, that people have really felt sympathy for. I do remember 
the remember the teachers were striking was it two years ago yeah. I think and I mean the public didn't really seem to have the same sympathy no, with them no. that they do with nurses why, why do you guys think that is? I think that it's because all of us have probably had some sort of an experience where we've had to like rely on a nurse in some sort of a situation and even though they've been working in these incredibly tough conditions they haven't lacked any empathy or compassion so I think that is why the public are so behind the nurses in this because it's such an important issue for Ireland as a society to be able to function if we want to treat the people right who are looking after us basically. I suppose maybe is it as well kind of you know people have this kind of perception in their heads of teachers who work you know nine to three Mm. they get their summers off which I'm not saying this is the case I know no job is actually as it seems but whereas obviously nurses are doing incredibly long hours and usually Mm. I mean I suppose one of the huge issues is you know say if they're rostered in to work eight to late but like a patient needs something they're not just going to run out the door no, so of course not. it does yeah, end up going demanding. on longer like yeah. it, the hours aren't set like you're you're going to be there if you're needed and you never know they never know when an emergency is going to happen and when they're going to be required so it's not like you can just run out the door as soon as you finish yeah. your shift even my friend who's um studying nursing here in DCU like she'll she'll say to you like you know you could be told oh you'll be out of here by 10 but if someone needs something you can't leave like and if they need you they need you and you have to stay and that's it like Mm -hmm. yeah exactly um there was a survey done um let me just check it was done by iReach i don't actually know what that is but this survey anyway was posted in the irish examiner so we'll we'll take it i think (laughs) reliable (laughs) (laughs) but it said up to 64 percent of irish people are backing the nurses strike Mm -hmm. So, I mean, obviously that is a high number, but at the same time, what do you guys think? Like, so we have, what, 36%, you know, not backing the nurses. Do you think these people are maybe people on one side who are saying, look, nurses do deserve it, but the money simply isn't there? Or do you think people simply just don't believe that they deserve a higher wage? I think it's definitely more that people think the money isn't there. I also think maybe it's, you know, they just want to get back to things. Like I, there was, what, 27,000 cancelled appointments or something yeah. over the past mm-hmm. few days. And I think people, you know, I the people who haven't, you know, not included in the 64% of supportive people, you know, they just want to get back into the swing mm-hmm. of things, get the these people the treatments that they need. Yeah. It is very unfortunate that it had to end in a strike because obviously those cancelled appointments, the aim of the strike is to, it's to cause disruption and to highlight the fact that they are not backing down in demanding the pay increases and more staff. Yeah, um, yeah I, I think it, you're probably right. It probably is, you know, people just not, you know, the money isn't there, but then I suppose at the end of the day we probably are more selfish and it is people you know not being happy with the appointments you know getting cut and all that kind of stuff but like I don't really know what to think because obviously in an ideal world of course they would get more pay and Mm -hmm. I do really believe that they are underpaid for the incredible amount of work that they do but at the same time if the money's not there like 
what what can they do? Like, mm. is the money not there, or is the government too scared of giving nurses a raise because then everyone else will want to raise? I think that the money definitely is there. It's just not being used in the right places. Yeah. Like the government don't view nurses as a priority, and that is why they are not well paid. The money exists in different places that we're probably the taxpayers paying the money to, and it sh- it should be going towards the more important things like this because if nurses were paid better, that would increase the standard of our healthcare system even like it would increase it immediately because people would want to stay in this country and they would want to be nurses in this country yeah i mean there's you see all the nurses in australia and the uk like giving their support and stuff Mm -hmm. like it really is a thing of nurses moving to different countries just Mm -hmm. which just shouldn't happen it's very Mm -hmm. sad but an interesting point that i thought was the inmo says that its members work longer but are paid less than physios and speech therapists which is true and I believe that but I mean at the same time do you guys see that as a valid argument because I mean you could nearly apply that to everything unfortunately we don't live in a society where you know what kind of job you like how hard your job is the more pay you get that's just not the way it works I mean if you were to say that then you'd be saying that teachers should be getting the same pay as lecturers Mm -hmm. you know it's just it's a higher qualification it's just it's just different I I don't don't, know yeah I don't think you can compare things in that way you know like people deserve you know the amount of pay for the work that they do not compared to a totally different line of work you know so I don't think you could make that argument at all I saw a lot of people on Twitter actually making the argument that Lewis drivers get paid a lot more than nurses but um, like you said, they are two totally different lines of work. Yeah. They probably aren't equal in I suppose that's... Demand. Now, as I'm saying that, that kind of does because... That does seem slightly yeah. unjust. Yeah, because like when you... I mean, when you look at, um, I mean, physios and speech therapists, um, you know, that's, that's still a job that requires, like, not even a degree. I'd say a master's or, mm-hmm. you know, higher above that. Yeah. And a lot of practice and, you know, whatever... But I suppose if you're looking at a Lewis driver getting paid, and it's a good bit more as well. Mm. I know you're talking about a good bit more than a nurse. It's like, like, what do you need to be a Lewis driver? Like, that doesn't take years of studying or anything. Yeah, I didn't know about the yeah. Lewis drivers, but there is also the argument though that like we shouldn't compare one job for another, and yeah, we should mean. live in a country that actually just values the job you are in and pays you mm. uh, an adequate living wage well i think i think the the big argument that like you know is there is that you know most wages nowadays just don't aren't on par with how expensive our economy is i mean if you look at um the uk they have what's called i can't remember what i can't remember exactly there is a word for it but like say basically it's if you live in a city basically you get like a like subsidy on top of your wage for like mm-hmm. how expensive it is so that means that like say you work as a nurse in Dublin and you get paid 30 grand and you work or you work as a nurse in I don't know in Limerick or wherever so because Dublin is so much more expensive you get the same wage but mm-hmm. by living in Dublin you get that that subsidy on top of it yeah. so yeah. I mean that needs like we need something like that absolutely. like people just can't afford to live in Dublin yeah. it's absolutely yeah. insane like because every like there are people, nurses in Dublin also have to pay 
rent in an absolutely extortionate housing crisis yeah. and they have to be able to live and unfortunately the at the moment they're just not being granted the the, the wages that they need mm. yeah so um i'm just going to play now this is a package from um one of our reporters Catherine gallagher and then afterwards we're going to be back to you uh, to have a little discussion Confusion amid a new timetable system has sparked controversy amongst the student body. The day before the commencement of the new semester, students were unable to access the regular system. The new system, Public Open Timetable, or PTO, is currently being piloted by the university. I spoke to a couple of students who told me how they came across the PTO and their views on it. I mean, I only found out about the change in the timetable system when I went to go check my timetable. Uh, and I think this had been a day after they'd come out. And I hadn't a clue. I didn't know what I was looking at. Uh, I thought maybe there'd been a problem with my computer. Um, and it was only really going and talking to other people that I noticed that everyone else had the same problem. First of all, we're not guinea pigs. You know, we're not uh, test subjects to have this sort of system tested out on us i know it's nothing really serious you know what i mean but um the the fact that we weren't even told or or maybe considered um explaining the the new layout of the new timetable to us it kind of shows poor management it shows a lack of consideration to students i'm blessed i have you know good vision good um you know re realization of shapes and colors on screen for students that don't that new timetable is a nightmare and if they're thinking of taking you know kind of one step back like that without consulting the students uh, I think they really need to seriously consider their priorities. I um, was kind of lucky before they changed it I had a screenshot of my thing so I was kind of running off that but then um, actually Craig McHugh uh, the vice president for education and placement had tweeted the new timetable and saying like they changed the timetable, they didn't really know what was up, but this is the link, and I was able to get it off that. And then I retweeted that, and a couple of people tried to get it out a little bit. But I just think it's ridiculous that not only were they completely out of the blue, they just didn't tell us they were changing. And they still haven't even given us any indication that, you know, this is our new system, you'll be using this, this is how you use it. And it's, it's very unlike DCU, they're usually quite helpful. I just think it's a bit bizarre. I prefer the timetable of the second semester because compared to the first semester, it's more clear. Because on the first semester, you just go on the student app, or I don't remember, and you put your module, and you see all the hours, but you, you, don't, uh, you don't understand how it works, and you see tutorials and lessons, lessons, lecture one, lecture two. You have to select your module to see at what hour you've got something. But now you can put the different module and keep them on the on the screen and see the different mo module at the same time. So it's better. Student Union Vice President for Academic Affairs, Callaghan Commons, told me the extent of what he knows on the matter. So basically the timetable system, it crashed on the Sunday evening before the exam started. That was just due to students going on to it all at once, um, just before I came back to college and it crashed. And there was a bit of delay in some courses getting their timetables out, so everyone was kind of anxious to get it, plus a lot of people going on at one time, and it just crashed. It was just a, a bit of a fluke. Sometimes that happens with websites, and there's not really much that can be done with it. Um, unfortunately, it was a weekend as well, so there was no staff working, so no one could rectify it immediately. Um, so that was the problem there. The other thing was, there were, is they are working currently on a new system, 
and software for uh, trying to help us improve them. That is going to work away in the background. It wasn't meant to be officially launched or anything. Um, it's not meant to be launched till next kind of September time when people come back to college. Um, but then that was kind of just brought to light being like this might work. It was kind of just a backup solution when the government crashed. That's re- pretty much the, the the story behind it. There wasn't much more to it. It was kind of just um, sometimes technology doesn't work the way it's meant to. Humanities rep Adam Healy was unavailable to speak on air. However, he said that from a student perspective, the timetable change was ridiculous. Healy said no one was informed that two timetables were available at one point. He said, finally, from a SU perspective, they weren't told about it either. This is Catherine Gallagher reporting for Newswire. So yeah, basically there, Catherine um, was just uh, telling us about kind of what happened with the timetable just before coming back this semester. So, I mean, as, you know, um, a few uh, students who she asked, I mean, yeah, it's it's not, you know, this big breaking news. But Mm. at the same time, it was a bit of an inconvenience. It definitely caused a bit of disruption to people's lives because... A lot of students work during the week mm. and they couldn't even tell their like bosses what days they actually have yeah. off or what times. So in a financial sense, it probably caused a lot of stress for students because they might not have known if they could even work during the week at that yeah. point. And just having this uncertainty, like when you're starting, you know, you want to get things ready. So mm-hmm. you're ready to just hit the ground running and then you have this change. So you're letting work know, oh, I yeah. can't work that day. It changes again. You're like, oh, I work that day you know and you're just not sure yeah and as well like employers really you know I mean some are more accommodating than others but a lot of employers you know don't even understand that your you know your your schedule does change they might realize Mm -hmm. that it does they might think it's the same for the whole year so when you're only telling them the night before which we couldn't even tell them the night before Mm -hmm. what days you can work it's just it really is a disruption but uh, talking about the actual layout of it so basically, um, how we used to get our timetables before is, you know, you go online, you put in your course or whatever, and, you know, you're just giving given one timetable, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Now we're given this thing where you have to, like, scroll. So it's not like you can even just print it out. Mm. Like, I just think it's ludicrous. Like, when, when do they think this was a good I idea? I don't know why they decided to change it. Because no, there's nothing wrong with the old yeah. system. Yeah, like there was no complaints, as far as I know, about mm-hmm. the old system. So why... You know, disrupt everything further and change it, and you know, it's just, it was very interesting how they just didn't tell anyone. Like the SU didn't know, yeah, none of the students knew. And if you're waiting there on a Sunday evening and you don't know if you've to be in for your 9 a.m. the next morning, and maybe you're commuting across the city or from somewhere outside the city, it's it's very stressful. Yeah, and even people traveling from you know getting trains and yeah. traveling from the countryside and stuff up, you know, you'd want to. You know, especially, I know, I know myself and some other people, like, you'd want to know your plan before Absolutely, you come yeah. up. And, you know, maybe you, you might have a Monday off, so you wouldn't mm-hmm. get the train up on yeah. Friday. And then on <laughs> Sunday, you find out you do have a I Monday know. class. So, yeah, I think the big issue as well was, so um, all of us, um, we just have, like, a course where, you know, it's, we all do the same modules, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas... You know, you're a joint honor students, um, humanity, some humanities students, and then education students. They have like a completely, like an individual, yeah. mm. um, timetable. So apparently, it caused like huge disruption mm-hmm. with them, because I don't know whatever way. It, I was talking to someone about this before it, the system worked, where 
they just put in their student number and then their timetable came up the way ours would have came up but then with this new system it was like every single class from everyone in the year was on this one yeah if you get me so yeah they didn't know what classes they were actually supposed to be in and And i think for some people modules that they weren't even enrolled in were actually coming up on their timetables and the ones that they were were nowhere to be seen so they didn't know what was going on when they were in so i guess you just have to turn up to college and wander just around <laughs> have a little find walk the right around, room <laughs> walk into the lecture <laughs> I don't know what they're trying to achieve by changing it no no like it's definitely not easier to read no and clearly there's problems with it like if you want to see what you have on Thursday you have to like swipe four times mm-hmm. like no one knows what the module codes actually stand for unless you say in like it's full title what the module actually is so it just it's very confusing and completely unnecessary yeah yeah so like kind of there just seems to be an organizational issue mm-hmm. um this isn't really this isn't like a fault of right now but i just think in general mikey did a um a package there on it earlier um that just coming back to college so we have two and a half weeks in semester two and mind you we only have 10 weeks in total and two and a half of those weeks we don't even know if we've passed semester one mm, yeah I think it, that that as well is really disruptive you know like people want to make plans for their summers and things but you know and people going to J1s or yeah. going to Canada or whatever and they can't you know get these plans in line because you know what if they'll have to spend the whole summer mm-hmm. studying to repeat or you know, and the worry as well coming in it all of it together just adds so much distress for students yeah. in semester yeah, two. Yeah, I think I think it's really worrying not knowing like what you've gotten in your results when you're supposed no. to be like I'm finding it really hard to focus on like my next modules when I don't even know how I'm doing. Yeah. You yeah, know there's a big time lapse between you actually sitting an exam or finishing your continuous assessment and then finding out any sort of feedback or how you did yeah, it. Yeah, and like what I find worrying about that is like, you know, especially with um, courses like ourselves where it's very assignment-based mm-hmm. heavy mm-hmm. that um, and we have so many of them yeah. that like I could get a result, right? And like in my head, I don't even know if that's actually what I deserve or not because it was so long ago that I actually can't remember yeah. like... Yeah. Like, did I put a lot of effort into that? Did, did I do did, yeah. did I do well? Because you know, if I get something back and it's a low grade and I can't remember, then how do I know if I should, you know, go see? Like, did I deserve mm-hmm. more or yeah, you know, that kind of thing. So, I mean, I think hopefully in twenty twenty, the Christmas exams are changed. Well, semester one exams are changing to before Christmas. So, mm. hopefully that might yeah make think, it a bit better. I think as well, like we're given such a long break. Mm-hmm. and that time should be used you know if you didn't do as well in your results as you hoped that you can take that time at home and like you yeah, know get, get yourself sorted yeah. for the next semester instead yeah. of getting your results two weeks in and you're already dr- like drowning in assignments yeah. and like working away yeah. and then if you get the bad news as well it's just an extra load mm-hmm. on top of that you know, and then if you want as well, like so, I know for you guys, you you like this semester will be very heavy for you, and then if you, you know, aren't happy with a result, and then you have to go appeal that. It's just extra, like as you're saying, just yeah. extra stress put on top of it. It's just so unnecessary. Absolutely. Yeah, at least if you got your results, you know, nearer 
to you know during the Christmas break or whatever near the exams you have that period of time where you can get used to that you can make yourself a plan and then it's sorted and then you start in semester two fresh slate mm-hmm. you know what the situation is and you can just start working yeah brilliant right well um, I think that's all we have time for this week Thank you all for tuning into Newswire today. I'm Anya O'Boyle. I'm Dara Brown. And I'm Kira Lachlan. Remember, you can always keep up to date with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at DCUMPS News. Um, we also go live again on Monday at 6 pm. Thanks for listening.